Hello and welcome to, to the eighth. Why? Why am I laughing already? <laughs> You're thinking about Tony's noises. Tony on noises. Whatever. This is just the intro now. My name is Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I'm Stephen Elgar. I guess we should open with the Tony Hawk demo then, because we can't just say Tony's noises and then talk about fucking Apple Arcade for 40 minutes and then get back to what that means. You're right, you're right, you're right. I think <laughs> the, the Aether is bursting at the seams because yeah. the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 plus 2 HD remix final mix over two days uh, demo was released. Uh, yeah, this week. If if you pre-ordered the game, yes. um, which we both did, because this is one of the games I'm I'm most looking forward to. I think we talked about it a while ago, and like I didn't know I needed Tony Hawk back in my life until they announced this was a thing, and I was like, oh, how I've missed yeah the ska and the warehouse, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, th- so this was announced in I think part of the Summer Games Fest, like the the Jeff Keighley uh, multi month E three replacement event. Um, just got announced like a random like Wednesday or Thursday morning. Um, and and what an announcement it is. So just like quick recap, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater existed for a long time. One, two, three, four, and then Tony Hawk Underground, Underground Two, I think American Wasteland. And then there was I think Ride, which was like during the peak of like Guitar Hero Rock Band fever. So they had the like skate like the plastic skateboard that you had to play it on. Um, and then I think there was like an HD remake of one that was like awful. And then, um, I don't, I, I think there were probably some other ones in between there, all culminating in a new studio whose name I don't remember and I don't want to mention because it, it's going to be a dunk fest, but a new studio picked up the license and then released Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 a couple of years ago. I think it was 2017, um, yeah. which was like universally panned. Yeah, um, even it though was... Octodad was a playable character, very upsetting. <laughs> yeah, it just like I think mechanically was a mess. I remember distinctly there was a feature called Slam where like yes. you yes. pushed a button and like all gravity just pulled you immediately down. But it was the same button to grind. Yes, so like exactly, just a lot of like fundamental design choices that led to it being like. Uh, I think the term I saw often was heartbreakingly bad. Like that was like the <laughs> yeah. headline because people love this series, especially people our age who, who grew up with the original series. And I think like <laughs> I think someone made a timeline kind of akin to the Zelda timeline yes, of yes, yes. the Tony Hawk series. And it's like uh, if Tony meets Bam and if Bam wins or if Tony wins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if really, Bam wins, really it turns into the Underground series, and if Tony wins, I think it's just Tony Hawk Ride or something. Yeah, but all that to say, this this remake, I guess it's it's I guess it's like kind of quasi remake, quasi a new game. It's definitely like mechanically a new game. Like it's you know from ground up, they have made a new thing that yes. features all the levels and the music and the skaters from the first two games. Uh, meshed with, I think, now we know based on the demo's intro video, a lot of new skaters, which I think is really beautiful. Like, I highly recommend, if you pre-ordered this game, watch the uh, video cutscene before... Um, it's not even a cutscene, it's just like real-life footage of all these skaters who are now, like, you know, middle-aged. But then, once it covers the full roster... I don't mean to say middle-aged like a, you know, like a negative thing. I just mean, like, it's showing them now, yeah. but then at the end of the roster, you know, still skating, still loving skating, and at the end of the roster you have like tony hawk's son and a new generation of skaters and like that to me is really exciting because what that reads to me is this game is about the love of skating and i think it shows even in the demo because i think like 
the series kind of got away from itself with like trying to ape like Grand Theft Auto at one point. Like I liked Underground, but like that's when I think the series became something else. And then after that, it was just sort of riding the hype of, what, of whatever was current in video games. Whereas like the first three are just arcadey fun games about skating. It almost reminds me more of Skate, the game that came out as almost a response to Tony Hawk becoming more cartoony. Yeah. That was like Death Stranding controls on skateboards, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, this feels a little like it's still very much like Tony Hawk 1 and 2, but it feels a little maybe I'm just bad, but it feels a little skate-y as well in the intro. Yeah, I've, I've seen demo. a lot of comparisons between uh, the original Tony Hawk 1 warehouse demo and this warehouse demo just in terms of like mechanics and floatiness and stuff like that and a lot of the gaps which if you haven't played tony hawk game it's literally just like actual gaps between ramps that you have to like jump over or whatever and you can do tricks over and stuff and you get like bonus points for doing tricks over those gaps a lot of the gaps that were really easy to nail in in the original tony hawk game are much harder now which i i actually think might be that could be um hand in hand with like a, a kind of more uh, stringent uh, mechanical focus on the upgrades for your skaters that you get down yeah. the line because like you have always been able to upgrade your skater with like a bunch of different stats and I think in the first game there were like two stats or three stats um, and and then in later games they added like five or six more um, and I those are all represented in this game uh, a lot of the things from future games were added back into this remake which I'm really excited about so like wall plants uh, which are really great so like if you're skating and, and you're skating or sorry grinding a rail and then you jump off and you hit a wall or something you can like plant on the wall and then kind of shoot yourself backwards which is really cool um, wall riding is also added into this uh, but they've also added it seems like these these mechanics um, like stat boosts and stuff uh, for a bunch of different stats and I think if you bumped all those up those gaps might be easier to clear so that's actually kind mm. of exciting that you will have maybe a, a more streamlined or, or uh, less just like steep ramp up in terms of uh, progression in this game which I, I think is really exciting yeah I, I don't know th this game just feels to me like a direct response to how bad Tony Hawk 5 was you know it's yeah. like let's yeah. get this like nailed as as well as we possibly can this is like exactly what it felt like like down to the button combos being exactly the same i didn't need to look up how to do the 900 i just remembered how to do it you know like that was so yeah. thrilling to me but i do think you're right that uh, that opening movie is like easily my favorite part of this whole demo it's so heartwarming yeah, yeah it's great it, it just it just like so immediately evokes exactly the feeling i got when i played those original games which like got a whole generation of kids like our age into skating like i was skating a lot around the time that these games were coming out literally only because of the tony hawk pro skater games like that is the reason that i and all my friends got skateboards and started skating yeah, yeah. it was a really like i i think the origins of of that were like very niche and then it became mainstream like you said because of these games yeah but now i think it's become niche again in a good way where like we're not seeing the same like uh you know i think for it, <laughs> the popularity of skateboarding in the early 2000s led to stuff like Viva La Bam and like kind of more of like an MTV like yeah. oh let's show like the glamorous lifestyle of these skaters rather than just showing the actual skating yeah um, and right. this seems to be like a return to like 
these are just people who love doing this thing. You know, yeah. it's not about anything else. Um, yeah. I do wish that the demo was available to everyone. That's kind of like the one weird yeah. thing about this for me is like it, it is strange that, that this demo is closed off to people who have already spent the money, you know, and, and have already said, I want to buy this. There are demos out there that like could exist in place of you getting the game. And this is not one of them. Like This is a very like. It, this demo basically proved to me that I'm glad I got the game and like I'm very excited for it. Um, yeah, but it, it's a like it's you know there are three songs available. It's just the warehouse. It's just Tony and like you have like two minutes to skate around the warehouse. Like that's the demo. So it's basically yeah. just them being like here here's two minutes to prove that we did it and we nailed it. And, and then you're hungry for more, which I think would be a good demo to give everyone because then they would end up probably getting it. You know? Yeah. Like I totally agree. So yeah, I, it's I, a little I, bit weird. I think that this demo, if it was free, I mean, because again, partially, I think a lot of people were like really burned out by the last couple of Tony Hawk games, right? And like there there needs to be that consumer goodwill built back up, right? Because it was so knocked down. And giving this demo away for free would, I think, immediately change people's minds about what this is, you know? Yeah. Um, I think yeah. you and I kind of took a leap of faith because it seemed like Tony Hawk himself was a lot more involved in the creation yeah. of this one. It felt a little bit less like a kind of cash grabby situation which I think some of the other ones kind of felt like you know underdeveloped and rushed and stuff like that even Activision who's publishing this like has kind of turned around a little bit in terms of their like practices as a publisher you know even going so far as saying like modern warfare the most recent call of duty is like really fucking good um and and the monetization stuff in there is like still very prevalent but not as hardcore as it has been in in recent games so like I, I do think this is kind of an exciting turn for this franchise and it, it, it feels like a, a, a true return in a way that like I think you would really only lock into mentally if you were able to get your hands on this thing. And it's weird that only the people who have decided that they want to buy it already, yeah. regardless of how it is, um, are, are the ones who are getting access to this. I'm sorry. You have to get the demo or alternatively, you could have been one of the first 2000 people in the United States to get the Tony Hawk official burrito from Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> which also got you access to the demo yeah kind of a willy wonka scenario yes <laughs> i got a golden ticket to tony's warehouse which but which by the way the tony hawk burrito from chipotle is just chicken rice beans and salsa and cheese like it's just like the most standard burrito you can get from i guarantee chipotle. some someone from like chipotle corp emailed tony hawk and was like hey what's your favorite kind of burrito and he's like i don't know that and they're like okay that's the official tony hawk burrito and he's like uh, fine you can sell it yeah. Um, but yeah, it's honestly like and there's a lot of stuff grayed out in the demo. So like it looks like you can make your own skate part again, which I'm very excited about. I, I don't know if you can make your own skater, but I imagine that would be there, too, if, yeah. if creating a skate park is um, a lot of different modes. And like I'm really excited to see the full roster of, of skaters and also the, the full the full like discography, you know, it seems to already be a mix of like, you know, older songs that were in the original, like Superman and, and a little bit more current. Um, there's also a very hilarious, clean version of Gorilla Radio by Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. I'm like, you really need to censor that? Okay. Yeah. Um, Which uh, I, I think was, I don't, I don't remember actually if that was one or two that Gorilla Radio was in, but the, the thing is, I don't know, I don't know about your history with the franchise, but I specifically played a shitload of two, like two was the one that like really got me in i had the first one but two was like my gateway into like the world of skateboarding at, at all i mean spider-man was a playable character in there which was like wild you could you could skate on the moon which had like lower gravity like that game just fucking ruled like 
top to bottom. So I'm really excited to get my hands on all the two stuff again. Like going back to some of those levels, I think like Hangar was one of those. Like Hangar is an amazing uh, level in that game. See, I actually I skipped two. I had I had one and loved one. Uh, so I'm a big one fan. I yeah. also really love three. Three is like three is also uh, like. I think yeah. one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Three. I mean, two added a lot. Two added the ability to make your own skater. I think uh, it added the manual, which is like a, literally a game changer. Yeah. Um, but three just felt like, you know, when we talk about like, is this the, the next step or is this the like foundation as good as it can be up until this moment? And three felt like if you want to play like the old school games and it still feels like really fresh and like good. Um, not to mention that has my favorite soundtrack. Like it's much more hip hop centric in three yeah uh and there's like a lot of great tracks on there you also have motorhead randomly great so yeah i i i liked three that was on the gamecube i had two randomly on the Game Boy advance but it was like a real pared down version oh yeah 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 of, i remember the Game Boy of, advance of versions game. of those i played two yeah. on pc which was weird for me because i don't remember having a computer that could run it that well but i that is where i played it and then uh and then four added what like hitching on cars you could like you could grab onto the backs of cars which was like really yeah. bizarre like that wasn't that exciting um and then the underground <laughs> and then games, it was obviously added like yeah. the whole story and stuff which like I, I I liked some of those levels. I liked Underground 2 a little bit more than 1. Um, but the, the one that I actually think is like very maligned that I think is great and like still have the PS2 copy of is American Wasteland. I think that game like ruled, ruled. Not it, a downhill jam fan? I'm not a downhill jam <laughs> fan, Steve. I'm not. I'm sorry. Um, downhill jam was weirdly like them trying to recreate one again. Like it was already like even by downhill jam, they were already like, let's go back and try and like recreate that magic of one in a way. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the like, you have a limited time, you have to get the highest score you possibly can um, kind of situation, which I honestly think like just if you, if you want to recapture that magic, just do what they're doing in the one plus two yeah this remake this game has all the ingredients already to maybe be like the definitive tony hawk game honestly yeah like i'm i'm really excited to check it out yeah if they if they my thought here is that either this game will come out and like do very well because it's great already i think personally and eventually we'll get like a three plus four or something or alternatively this will become kind of a foundation for dlc and then eventually we'll get like all the levels from three added into this and it'll become one plus two plus three. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would love that. Honestly, I would love nothing more than I mean, because this game is like not even it's not a full it's not fully priced. Right. It's not like a full release. It's 40 bucks. Right. It's or 40 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I paid $50 for like the deluxe edition, which I don't even remember what that gets me. But I was like just so excited about it that I I, yeah. I almost never pre-order games and I was never pre-order the deluxe editions of things. Um, but I did for this because I'm so amped about it. I watched um, it's worth noting. I watched the Jeff Gersman playthrough of of the uh, warehouse demo um, on Giant Bomb and watched it for like three minutes and was immediately like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted this to be. Totally. And then, and then picked it up. Yeah, it's it's really like I also so heavily associate summer with this series. So like this yeah, cannot be a better summer game so yeah, let's talk about tony's noises as we forecast oh my earlier. god i completely so forgot that's one how of, this all one started of the, one of the newest things is like <laughs> when you're pulling off like a lot of combos and scoring a lot of points tony will respond to that positively vocally um but 
I kid you not, it sounds straight from Icy Tower. Do you remember that game? We're like, woohoo! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, it sounds just like that. It's, it's really, it's just very jarring to see like a pretty realistic looking modern day Tony kind of like giggle like he's on like a lemming uh, yeah. you know bobby's world or something <laughs> yeah. and you know then when he falls it's the it's the normal grunts but there's like a very cartoonish like woohoo yee when he's yeah. like mario basically yeah. it's really weird do you think that they got all of the skaters to record those themselves do you think that's actually the voices <laughs> of all the skaters <laughs> chad muska take three can you go woohoo uh real quick for us woo-hoo. no man yeah, <laughs> I hope that's. I hope Chad Muska sounds like Funky Kong. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, I, what a wild thing. I. I wonder if they'll let you turn that off. I really hope they add that into the sound <laughs> options. Um. It's worth noting you can turn certain songs on and off. Um. Not. I have not mm. done that because I actually like the selections. Uh, although yeah. I think I might have outgrown Billy Talent as a band at this point in my life. <laughs> um. And they sure are one of them. Uh. Uh-huh. But. But anyway, I. I'm really excited about um, about the soundtrack because it seems like I mean, there were already a ton of songs on there. And I think this week or last week they announced that they added like 30 to 40 more songs to this thing. Yeah. Um, so it seems like this this uh, playlist is just going to keep growing, which is really, really exciting. I don't know. It, they, they have done everything right by me so yeah. far, which is really thrilling for me. Maybe this is just my read on it, too. But when you're saying, like, is this going to be a, a situation where there's going to add a lot to this over DLC over time? Or there, is there going to be a three plus four? I can honestly see the former much more likely because I'm also now reading the title of one plus two differently than I did before. Like I, at first I was like, oh, that just means like it's the first two games. But now it really feels like they're invested in like the past and future of skating. You know, where like mm. you have the roster of like, you know, established skaters and new skaters you've got music that's like from the original games and and i imagine newer tracks so like that might just be my interpretation of it but i feel like the one plus two is a lot more about like here is skating and it's like full origins and future yeah which i think is kind of beautiful i love i love that this is happening right now i mean they they just announced the new skate is in development now which like i'm excited for that too which I think is going to be years out because when EA announced that it literally looked like the guys who uh, made that series like had just gotten the call 15 minutes before that event started. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit! Um, So I I think that's going to be a long way out. But the fact that that's even in development, uh, Skater XL just came out on all platforms, which um, is not doing very well critically, um, but I've seen some praise for. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm excited for the return of skating because as as you mentioned, like in the beginning before the Tony Hawk games came out skating was like kind of becoming more popular as like a cultural zeitgeisty kind of thing I mean it kind of became like a cultural movement in a way not that it wasn't always one but it was becoming a bigger one I mean you saw it reflected even in like uh, like the malls around I mean Stephen and I grew up in New Jersey so there were a ton of malls everywhere but even yeah. in like when, when you and I went to the mall and stuff like there was a half pipe like in the mall that you and I used to go to and stuff at, at the van store and then also there was like the Pac Sun, which like became less of like a Hollister ripoff and more of like a skate shop kind of situation. And then the Tony Hawk games started coming out and like turned that into an even bigger thing, right? Like skating was everywhere for a while. And I just remember like being in high school, going to that mall, like towards the end of the Tony Hawk era of video games and seeing PacSun turn back into a Hollister kind of situation, you know, like that. You, yeah. could, you could literally visualize in the moment that culture like leaving the zeitgeist, which was like really wild to watch that fad well, like come and go. Yeah. and I, But I think that's kind of like 
I'm glad it's not a fad in that way anymore. And I imagine a lot of skaters probably share that because like probably well, yeah. they, pr- they probably appreciated the attention to skating. I think like there's something kind of tragic about a lot of like a lot of what was actually underground in the 90s became like fucking corporate marketing to everyone between certain ages in the 2000s. So like, yeah, you know, you had the like Nirvana and, and skating of the 90s then become like, you know, something that was marketed to you that wasn't true to the origin of it yeah so yeah maybe that's just my read on it growing up at that time but i think this game seems it's like the full hero's journey of skating like kind of going back to the beginning <laughs> yeah uh, so i'm very excited for it yeah me too uh tony hawk one plus two is the thing that Woo-hoo! you can go do you think they're going to add any, uh, like, wild characters? Like, they had Spider-Man and Tony Hawk 2. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5, you know, for all the issues that it had, it had Octodad in there. I think it had the dude from King's Quest, and it had all four of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in it. That is that is always one of my favorite bits about the Tony Hawk games, or just, like, kind of the, the like, wilder shit. Because, like, Neversoft just seemed like the raddest developer. I mean, I you know, in, in retrospect, probably not. I, I remember reading a profile of the guy who ran Neversoft that was just, like, one of the wildest profiles of ever read in my life but it just seemed like they they kind of had that like early video games kind of like gumption about them to like put in a bunch of like really wild uh cheats and secrets and like oh yeah sure let's just put spider-man in this game because why not let's add a secret level where you're on the moon like really goofy uh like pop-ups showing up if you like broke the level or whatever which is in this game it's worth noting if you clip through the floor and fall through it a big thing that shows up that says please stop falling through the level yeah which like feels could, very Tony Hawk one. I, I, I'm sure they'll add like one or two kind of like, you know, Darth Maul kind of characters. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was in three. You could play as Darth Maul, which is so funny because like Spider-Man probably skates, you know, like I don't <laughs> I don't I don't know his vibe in real life. But yeah. I feel like Spider-Man has the energy of someone who probably knows how to skate. He does in but, the amazing Spider-Man, uh, the Andrew Garfield mm, duology. Dude. <laughs> Andrew Garfield 1 plus 2 DVD collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's worth but, noting I'm an employee of Marvel Entertainment. Anything I say and do does not reflect the views of my employer. Thank you. Uh, but Darth Maul skating is a surprise, you know? Like, of all the Phantom Is it though? Because you see Darth Maul skating, it's like, this dude actually looks like he was made <laughs> for this. I'm just saying, where's Ben Quaterneros on his skateboard? You know, where are the... <laughs> Do you think Plo Koon is, is more of a vert guy or more of a street guy? Where's Boss Nass and his sick uh, Christ airs? Boss Nass, definitely a vert guy. Yeah, totally. I think that Sebulba is more into BMX than skating. <laughs> no, I totally agree with that, actually. I just want to see Anakin go like, now this is skating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> give me a pod racing game, but they're all skateboarders is what I'm saying. I'd be very into that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Should all we take right, a break? We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, let's take a break. So we can pitch all of this to Activision? We, <laughs> we'll send an email. We we planned on this all being in the break and uh, it sure did become the beginning. Yep. So let's, let's actually reset it and get back to our plan. Sounds good. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> Here I am doing everything I can. Woohoo! Wet it all to what I have. Pretending I'm Superman. Goodbye. Goodbye. Here I go. Wah-ha. That's for when this game comes out on Switch, right? Yeah. When they, when, oh, I missed. When they eventually port it to Switch, they'll add Waluigi. Oh, my. Honestly, if he's not going to be in Smash, put Waluigi in 
uh, Tony Hawk one plus two. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I mean, I've never talked about this on the show or maybe I have, but whatever. I'll say it again. Like, that's the reason I make Waluigi in every character creator I possibly can is because like, hey, Nintendo, if you're not going to give me a Waluigi game, then I'm going to turn every other game I can into the Waluigi game. Yeah. You know? Everybody's golf. Uh, Waluigi game. Bloodborne. Waluigi game. Tony Hawk <laughs> Pro Skater 1 plus 2 will become the next Waluigi game. Yeah. I want to see that timeline. Yeah. Show me that. Show me that canonical timeline. <laughs> okay. Let's take a break. Do you think... That Waluigi <laughs> has like um has like kind of like a Groundhog Day situation where he he lives forever, you know. Well, maybe not Groundhog Day, but do you think that Waluigi is like an eternal being? Like, because I'm I'm thinking going back to Bloodborne era, being like towards the beginning of his canonical timeline, right? Leading up to everybody's golf, which like kind of has like a future vibe, and then I feel like Tony Hawk One Plus Two would like kind of fall right in the middle. That'd be more modern day. Yeah, I think Waluigi is somewhere between uh, Billy Pilgrim and Slaughterhouse Five, where he's unstuck in time. Yeah, so, like, I love that. He's omnipresent, but but completely powerless, and also a little bit of a. There's a character in the Sandman comic series that is just a dude, but he just never dies. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Like, I think that Waluigi is like a mesh of those two. Where like he's not omnipotent or omniscient, but he is eternal in his uh mortality or yeah. in his presence yeah so i do yeah. see him as like may- maybe he's like dimension hopping a little bit too you know he can kind of like hop through timelines and platforms <laughs> <laughs> i'm into that yeah yeah that, that makes sense to me okay now that we've established waluigi can and we can take a break cool all right good night <laughs> Steven, we're we're back. Uh, let's do I, all the stuff that we plan on doing at the beginning of this episode. How about that? Before Tony ollied us. Yeah. <laughs> Flipped us around. Christ stared right over us. <laughs> Was that Tony? Well, we got to talk about him. Woohoo! <laughs> I really hope they have a voice slider. Anyway, um, <laughs> here's the thing. I wanted, I wanted to mention right at the top, but here we are doing it in this bit now um we have a bonus episode coming this month which i think steven are very excited to record um we're going to be recording it i think the day after this episode comes out so there is Mm. a limited time uh to send in your questions but we're going to be talking about two games uh which we're fucking amped about talking about uh and those games are going to be near automata and spelunky and why are we picking those two games, you might ask? Uh, we are going to have a special guest on the episode, and that guest is going to be Chris Plant, who is the editor-in-chief of Polygon and co-host of The Besties and editor of Quest, the RPG, and a lot of things. He's a prolific dude. And uh, we asked him what games you want to talk about, and these were the two games. And we were like, that's actually the perfect list yeah. of two <laughs> games for us to be talking about. Yeah, um, our, our souls are respectively bound to both of those games. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so if you're wondering why Steven was streaming Spelunky the other day, that's why uh, on our Twitch page, by the way, is twitch.tv slash into the cast. Um, I've been playing through Nier Automata, um, like finally actually like getting through the rest of it, which has been one hell of an experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We're really looking forward to this. Um, as we have alluded to for a long time, uh, this this episode has been in the works for a while because we wanted this month's bonus to be our like celebration of hitting 100 episodes um, in lieu of our 100th episode being 
you know, just kind of like a regular one. I mean, it was about cross code, which is very exciting. But uh, th- this is kind of our like 100th episode spectacular. So, yeah, that's that's what's coming up. So if you have any questions you want to send in for uh, the two of us or Chris Plant about near Automata or Spelunky, um, please send them to us any way you want, whether that be Instagram, the Discord, Twitter, whatever send them send them however yeah yeah amazing i'm really excited to do that uh, and i've been really enjoying finally getting to splunky finally after all this praise i've heard i'm playing it for the first time so i'm also going back and playing near to kind of just like refresh myself on some of it but uh yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun to talk about both games yeah yeah definitely it is also worth noting that between when we decided to do this episode and now uh they have they being derek you the uh, developer of Splunky uh, has announced that Splunky 2 will be coming out early next month, uh, which, you know, was kind of up in the air when it was going to come out. It's going to be 2020 at some point, but I think everybody was kind of expecting it to get delayed or something. But it's coming out September 15th, which is really exciting. So just another testament to uh, everything we talk about on this podcast coming true somehow. Um, I was going to say, we yeah. de- like it, it was a goof for a while, but our track record of like predicting the future and summoning things into existence is a little scary. Yeah. So. We haven't managed to do it with Nier Automata for Switch yet, but eventually I think that'll happen. Mm, I could see that. I could see 2B showing up in Smash somehow. I could just see it happening. Yeah. Oh, it is worth noting if you have an Xbox and you have Game Pass, uh, Nier Automata Become as God's Edition is on Game Pass. So if you want to play the game a little bit in anticipation of that, that's a great place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorites of all time. Uh, you might have heard me cry while talking about it on our Games of the Decade episode. Uh, so this time I may or may not cry again, but I'm very excited to revisit it. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a incredible experience. And, and it's a game that, uh, you know, I'll save my full thoughts on for the episode, but that's a game that you have to see through to the end, like truly have to, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of like leaving games where you've had your experience, but like, if you can, you got like that game really comes into its full element in the final moment. So, and it's actually weirdly not that long. Like it has, it kind of teases you into thinking it's over many times, but like collectively, if you stick to the critical path, it's like 20 to 30 hours. So it's not like a persona yeah. scenario where like you have to like live a second life where you're just playing persona to get through the game uh yeah yeah yeah. all that to say i'm excited yeah um so that'll be a really fun episode um so for that that that's we're recording that on the 20th um i believe is the date of that so hope you know we'll have it out before the end of august hopefully yeah so look forward to that a couple more updates real quick number one last week's episode was the sports episode we talked about fall guys and baseball um still playing a lot of fall guys by the way i don't know if you are but same yeah yeah. i've been jumping into that game a lot they've added a um a new mini game to that which has been great uh they also have been you know updating the shop and stuff i don't know that game is great still Uh, they also gave everyone a bunch of uh kudos because like there were some connection issues and they just gave everyone like 3000 yeah like coins basically and a a cactus uh a cactus outfit (laughs) i bought the mallard skin so now i'm like a big duck oh that's that's awesome that's that's really good yeah yeah fall guy's still great uh the other one that we talked about last week was baseball uh which was wild timing because we recorded the episode literally like i think we finished recording like maybe 15 minutes before that season of baseball ended uh and we talked we waxed poetic about how excited we were for the upcoming season. Uh, and then immediately after we finished recording, Blazeball went on uh, kind of an indefinite hiatus for a little bit, mainly because the developers were pretty much just like, yeah, we we, we kind of overworked ourselves because this like blew up in such a big way um, that, that we just like spent all our time working on it. And like, we really need to take a break for a little bit and add some stuff to it and whatever. Uh, so they took it down for a little while. So sorry if if you were listening to that episode and hyped about Blazeball and then went to go check it out. And now it's uh, non-existent, but, um, you know, really good 
good uh, on the developers for recognizing they need to take some time off. Totally. And, yeah. Excited for them to have a break. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But since then, I have joined the Discord and like gotten more into it myself. And I also have been told by many friends who listen to that episode that they have joined their respective teams. Yeah. Uh, so really cool to see that. And I also uh, I backed the Patreon because like I'm just so pumped yes. to see more from them. So, yeah, take however long you need. But I'm, I'm pumped for the next season. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're saying it should be up like the last week of August is what they're aiming for at the moment. I mean, if that takes more time, that's totally cool. It seems like it's going to come back regardless, you know, so like however long they need to take um, is whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Just really excited for baseball to come back whenever that happens. Uh, but a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of great artists have been making trading cards of the players as well. Yeah, um, they're awesome. I need a boyfriend Monreal trading card immediately uh, <laughs> to, to support my breath mints. Yeah, you know, I'm glad I'm glad day. you got into that side of it because I, I do feel like, you know, and this is just a little bit of a rehash of last week's episode. But now that you've actually gone through it, maybe a little bit less so. But I do feel like that experience of like you pick the team, you start to look up that team's like Wikipedia lore that exists, and then you join the Discord and you start to like kind of embed yourself into the community for that team and like kind of get the vibe of it. It really changes everything about how you experience it because it until until those two things happen, that website is just like very strictly like a like fantasy baseball simulator, you know, with like sprinkles of of intrigue. Yes, and in that way, it actually. I mean, I might have mentioned this in the in our episode about it but it really does evoke the relationship between a dm and a player in a game of DD. yeah where, absolutely like, there is a really great balance of give and take where like the dm is giving you just enough to inspire your own creativity and then the players are giving so much back and i can only imagine that you know the commissioner and the baseball gods will will take that in and register it and and continue to like keep that balance going because you don't want I don't think you ever want them to give you too much info I think like there's a really like you always want to be a little bit left out of the loop with with the commissioner with the website yeah and and you want the bulk of like the the physicality and and the and the imagery of the game to be in the players hands and that was kind of the fear about uh, the the uh, player interviews decree getting voted in right so as I mentioned last week you can you can use the coins that you're winning to buy votes and then you can vote on decrees that will change the rules of baseball forever so there were there was one last uh, last season which ended up not winning which i'm kind of bummed about but whatever that was called blaze running which meant that if if somebody stole a base uh that would count as 0.1 points for the game which just like completely changes how you how you score baseball forever um but one of the <laughs> other ones was was player interviews um and and i think in all caps the description was just like let them speak or something and that got voted in and a lot of people were a little bit concerned that was like okay are the are the developers going to like write too much lore themselves into this in, into this game and kind of like undo some of the characteristics that we've kind of imbued these characters with and these players with but when that got voted in essentially the the game kind of like glitched out and broke um, and they they referred directly to the Grand Unslam, which is a thing I described in detail last week. But they said the Grand Unslam has has angered the baseball gods, um, and everyone apparently like a pit opened above uh, Los Angeles, and all of the players on the Los Angeles team got changed to the same guy, just like copy pasted. <laughs> Um, so, so the Los Angeles team is entirely made up of just the same dude right now. Um, and, and oh it seems God. like interviews as I kind of hoped for and mentioned last week is going to be a complete left turn from what people thought it was going to be, which yeah. I think is really exciting. I have to say, so I'm a, I'm a big breath mints fan. Uh, shout out to the minty way. 
uh, fresh breath, here we come. Uh, but I think my secondary team has got to be the Houston Spies because uh, so I was on the phone with my friend Andy uh, and I was I was doing my best to tell him what baseball was, <laughs> uh, which is always a hard task. Yeah. And he was looking up and he was like, he was like I got to say, man, I am definitely all in on the Houston Spies and like their whole vibe is as the title would suggest that no one knows anything about them <laughs> and they they are presumably from Houston but fans speculate they're might, they might be from space so good I, I'm a big Spies fan yeah. so if I'm not ready for the mints I'm all in on the Spies and I'm a huge dress like a telephone fan even though she's on the Tigers currently yeah which that used to be uh, a different wait, me... team by the way but a pit to hell opened up and now they're the the Hades Tigers yeah so, oh my god. Yeah, anyway, enough about baseball, but I'm so excited for the season to come back. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um that's that's going to be really exciting. I honestly like maybe maybe a spoiler or whatever, but like come goatee season, like baseball I think a counts for the list potentially. And I think oh, will totally. probably be on my list um, because it is easily one of the most interesting things happening in, in games right now. And as you mentioned, it's so hard to explain to other people. I was so nervous when we recorded last episode that I was going to like fuck up my, my explanation of it. But more, more than that, like it's one of the only game. Cause like whenever I talk to people or whatever uh, who don't listen to this show, generally they know that I'm playing a lot of games. So the last me like, Oh, what are you playing? Like what's going on? And like baseball is the one that I never bring up generally because, I just I just don't know how I'm going to explain it to somebody. Usually uh, I I think it's an extremely hard thing to uh, to explain. So I just forward people articles about it if I want them to know that. <laughs> yeah, the wiki is the best sell for sure. Yeah. Otherwise, it sounds like you might be in a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's an incredible thing still. So anyway, that's baseball. It's a baseball update. Uh, it'll be coming back soon, hopefully. But uh, hopefully also the devs are taking as much time off as they need to to like recuperate. Also. Uh, listeners who are in the Discord, let us know if, like, you would want maybe a baseball channel in our Discord. I feel like I almost don't want that because I feel like the baseball Discord, like, is the place to be. Yeah. But I'm not against the dedicated channel for discussion in our own if you'd rather, you know, talk amongst the TWG community. Yeah, yeah totally. I, I wouldn't be against that personally. But again, yeah. uh, if, if you want that, I guess let us know in the Discord. Um, I'll say that the baseball Discord is full of really cool people. Like, I joined the Breathmints channel and everyone was, like, super friendly and yeah. like great so yeah. it's awesome i can i can give a testament to at least the breath mints being super chill yeah i can also uh testify for the hawaii fridays being <laughs> the most chill possible maybe, yeah. objectively maybe dangerously chill yeah yeah, yeah. anyway so that's baseball. Uh, the other quick update I wanted to give was Soda Dungeon 2. Still playing that and still loving that it is super good i am now past the like story of the game um i've played enough of it once you get past the 10th uh, dungeon or the 10th dimension um, the game kind of becomes like an infinite climb uh, situation which is uh, still really fun I'm still having a really good time and they add a couple things when that happens um, but oh, yeah, yeah that 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 story got really good I just you and I were talking before we started recording how there's a bunch of people in the discord talking about soda dungeon 2 right now it's really fun and as I mentioned last week just like the the further up that climb you get the more it becomes like an actual like turn-based strategy game um, and less of like a just let this thing play itself because it's really hard to make it past the top bosses or like the, the bosses mm. at the top of each tower in each dimension without like specifically like figuring out your team composition and then like really doing like turn by turn uh moves and stuff the the last one i'm sorry the last 
two in particular are like pretty difficult to get by. Um, but what a what a great climb that was. Um, and now, from what I understand, uh, in this infinite climb mode, it then becomes more about like okay, so team composition is important, but then also you're getting all these different items and and abilities and things like that as you're going through, and you're like upgrading each of the different classes that you can get. So so apparently in infinite mode, it's really about like specific placement of your team composition and exactly what items you're equipping them with, which is mm. like just a whole new level of depth to this thing that uh, I wasn't anticipating and like am really, really, really enjoying. It's a game that I, I there are a couple things here and there that I think would make it a little bit better, like if it actually was an idle game and you could like run it in the background with it being closed, I think would be nice. Like the fact that I have to like leave my phone on and plugged in as they're climbing thousands of floors, like maybe isn't the best because it does take <laughs> hours, like like for real yeah. hours. Like I watched a bunch of movies yesterday and just let it run the entire time <laughs> I was watching movies, um, which was like kind of weird. But yeah, I don't know. Great game. Uh, I want to recommend it again because I'm having a really good time with it. Yeah. While we're doing an overview of stuff, I also want to sprinkle in some more hype because Without revealing what they are, Brendan and I have also mapped out the rest of the year for bonuses. So, like, oh, yeah. we know exactly what game will be discussed every month. So, I've also been putting a lot of time into those in preparation of that. But I just want to share my excitement because I think, like, we always, we always are really, like, there's a different energy with the bonuses and we're always looking forward to discovering what it's going to be. And it's nice to know, like, we have the whole year mapped out. It's a really yeah. cool feeling. Yeah. So we I think are, you all we enjoy are playing the hits. <laughs> <laughs> Semi-charm life. Jumper. Uh, all of them. Yeah. Uh, did I ever tell you about the time I went to a Third Eye Blind concert? <laughs> you did. Not only did you, it was on the show. Oh, was it? Okay. <laughs> uh, a while ago. But you said it was a bummer. You said it was a kind of a really Truly like, terrible. Depressing. Truly a terrible yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think Third Eye Blind shines most as karaoke, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to categorize or limit anyone's artistic expression. But, yeah, I think, like, I want whatever my relationship is, Third Eye Blind, to be in a private room and not in front of everyone. <laughs> I don't care how that sounds. That's how I feel. Sorry to any Third Eye Blind fans or members of Third Eye Blind who are listening to this episode of the podcast. Yeah, apologies to Third Eye Blind fans. I, I do have a soft spot in my heart for them. We gotta move on. Uh, yeah. So Should I talk about the actual game I've been playing? <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to uh, address the bonuses because like it's a rare occurrence where like, because there's sometimes where we don't know until like a week before, you yeah, know? Yeah. So like... It's just nice to know. Yeah. Um, I, th I think listeners will be excited about those episodes because I'm excited about yeah. those episodes. Yeah. Me too. Anyway. Especially next month. Uh, but anyway, yeah. continue. Um, cool. So game I have been playing this <laughs> week. Anyway, Junior Prom was fine. I thought it was <laughs> a, you know, kind of, you um, know, it, it's an integral experience at a, at a young age. Yeah. Junior. Ugh. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I've I've been playing this this game. It got announced, and then I was like, I don't have too much of an interest in this, literally at all, uh, and ended up checking it out anyway, just kind of out of morbid curiosity. And it's been uh, the only thing pulling me away from Soda Dungeon Two on mobile. Uh, and the reason it took me so long to get through the story of Soda Dungeon Two, uh, I have been playing for Apple Arcade only at the mm. moment, which is interesting. Uh, revisiting Apple Arcade, which I forgot I had a subscription to Game of Thrones. Tale of Crows, which uh, just there you go. brief overview of my experience with Game of Thrones. I watched the yeah. first season because everybody did. I watched the second season because everybody did. Uh, and then season three came out and I was like, I am out of here. I don't want this anymore. I was just watching it because everybody else was is what I kind of realized and I wasn't enjoying it. So I bailed. I have not read the books. 
I kind of have no interest in reading the books um, based on what I've heard about the way they're written. I know that that is a thing that a lot of people really love. People love that. Yeah. People love the show uh, until the end. It seems like universally people hated the ending of that show, which I don't really yeah. know anything about. Um, but I I am not the kind of person who like really wants to engage um, with with that kind of uh, writing. That sounds like I, I have a moral objection to it. It's more just like I know that it's like extremely, uh, extremely descriptive and extremely drawn out. And they're just like a ton of care. And I just don't I just don't want to spend the time. It's just like when I when I watch and this again, totally subjective. And I get like Game of Thrones also was one of the big shows that was around the zeitgeist of like gritty human deconstruction stuff. You know, it yeah. was alongside like the Nolan trilogy and Mad Men and Breaking Bad and all that. And I think like, you know, I, I, I have a lot of friends who love the books and so maybe I'll read them one day, but I think that like, I usually am drawn to high fantasy because of like, this is a cool world that even if this world has its own issues, I like being here and I don't yeah. like being present uh, from what little I've watched. I don't like being in Westeros at all. Yeah. It's a bad place. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I very much agree. And again, I just want to be very clear. Like if you are a fan of Game of Thrones, like this is not supposed to be a dunk on you for liking Game of Thrones. Just personally no. does not work for me at all. Um, I, I just didn't enjoy it. I did have a moment before the finale happened where I was like, I'm going to revisit this and like catch up and like try and kind of get back on that wagon and like see if I can like really engage with it. And I watched an entire season in a day. Uh, and then at the end of that season, it was like, do you want to watch season four, episode one? And I just like hovered over that button for a really long time before I decided not to. So anyway, that's my history with Game of Thrones as a franchise. Not like it's very yeah. much not for me. Um, so the idea of an Apple arcade game set in the world of Game of Thrones, like also felt like very not for me. Um, I did play the Game of Thrones version of Reigns, uh, which is the Devolver published just kind of spinoff version of Reigns, which is a, a really interesting uh, game. If you haven't played it, I think we may have talked about it on this show at one point or another, like the original Reigns, but not the Game of Thrones version. But it's essentially like Tinder, but for monarchy is kind of the idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did. We did. Because it was related to uh, Democratic Socialism Simulator. Yes, yes, exactly. In, in structure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which pretty much involves you being uh, like one of the many lords of Westeros and then uh, all of your, I guess, subjects will come up to you and ask you for things like, uh, w w can can we go out and like send a, a watch party out here or something? And if you say yes, like it'll lower the amount of people you have defending your castle and uh, whatever. It's 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 good. It's good. Um, <laughs> I would recommend just playing Reigns personally. I like Reigns a lot and, and adding the um, the Game of Thrones stuff to it like didn't add too much for me personally, which is why I have never talked about playing that version on this podcast. But anyway, uh, that is kind of why I was like a little bit ambivalent about checking this one out in particular was like my experience with Reigns Game of Thrones edition was kind of like, OK, I don't know if I want this, but this is also a Devolver Digital published Game of Thrones game. It's on Apple Arcade, and it's made by the team that made Space Plan, which mm. uh, was one of the games that like was on the shortlist. Sh shortlist is not the word I can use, but on the shortlist for the Games of the Decade episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, shortlist. Uh, which I think we ended up like ditching from the actual list of 100 games. We, we, I can't remember. It, it, we mentioned way, it we briefly. It was in, the, it was yeah. in the honorable mentions, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. But Space Plan, I think, was like a really interesting step forward for idle games. Um, and the design of 
vital games in that it added a whole layer of narrative to the thing. Um, it, there was there was a beginning and there was an end to it, and it had a really interesting structure and really interesting narrative. And if you haven't played Space Plan, I would highly recommend checking it out. It's really, really, really good. And it'll take you like two or three days to finish. When I say two or three days, I mean like you check in like once or twice a day with that game and then eventually you're done with it, um, which is a really nice way to play an idle game because a lot of them are built to be played literally forever. Like the idea is that you will never finish them. Um, I have a bad habit of finishing games that people think are unfinishable, which is why I don't download a whole lot of idle games anymore, because I have a real problem when I play them. Um, the main one being Adventure Capitalist, which is like if, if you're out there and you know what Adventure Capitalist is, this is like all of the idle game cred I can like bundle up into one sentence. But I beat Adventure Capitalist, which is like a thing you're not supposed to be able to do. Um, they have since I updated the game to, fit, to make it unbeatable. They have updated it so you can no longer... Uh, beat Adventure Capitalist, but I did it when it was finishable, and that took me like literally three years. Bad. <laughs> I beat this game before it was impossible. So. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it, no, that's like the most fucked up thing I can say about myself. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, I, I I try to not play a whole lot of idle games for that reason these days. Um, but this one, being by the Space Plan developer, being published by Devolver, and being set in the world of Game of Thrones, just like seemed really fascinating to me. Um, yeah. So the overview of this that I can give real quick is that it is uh, you are essentially uh, the guy who is running the the Night's Watch, which is the the group of people who are like looking over the giant ice wall. If if you don't know anything about Game of Thrones, essentially there's a giant wall of ice that separates the north, like the north north, from the rest of Westeros. Like they are the last line of defense between whatever the fuck is happening up there in the woods where there are like dragons and night walkers who are like the big blue ice guys who are I think the undead, but I don't really know because I didn't get that far. And and like uh, I think the wildlings they're called. They're the last line of defense between all of that and like Westeros, the like quote unquote civilized society, even though they're all killing each other and trying to play the Game of Thrones, as it were. So essentially, you are the guy who is in charge of the very first Night's Watch. They like build the wall and then they're like, we need a group of people to lead this or, or to like look over this. So you start the game like working in the like main castle. I think it's called Castle Black. Yeah, it's called Castle Black, um, which is like at the foot of this giant wall with like a huge elevator that goes to the top of it um, that allows, you know, the Night's Watch to actually like watch over this stuff. Um, and what happens is a little bit rains adjacent, actually, I, I would argue, in that people continue to come to you with uh, with questions. So like, for example, uh, I, I have one right now that says a sworn brother knocks brothers being the members of the Night's Watch and says uh, the unlucky brothers assigned to the latrines have been neglecting their duties. Half the seats are near frozen shut. So you have two options here. One of them is they will do their duties or be flogged or every man who cleans the place will be rewarded with wine and you can choose one or the other. What you might be wondering is, is there any kind of like supply management or whatever? Like, is there an actual number that goes down? If I say like every man who cleans the place will be rewarded with wine, is there like a wine meter that goes down? The answer to that is no, <laughs> which I think is interesting. Um, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen too many instances in which the choices I've made have like actually fucked people over in the long run. That might be because I'm good at this. Maybe. Uh, but it also uh, might just be that like they're 
less interested in like punishing you for the things that you fuck up and more interested in just like telling you a story. Uh, so mm. I will, I will say at this point, every man who cleans the place will be rewarded with wine. So that is the thing that I have just like sent out in, into the wild. And, and eventually in like an hour or maybe two hours, I will get a new person coming up to my door and asking me for something like that. While that's happening, there's also the actual watch itself. So you're looking at this like isometric view of Castle Black. If I tap on the watch button, it zooms out so I can see the entirety of the wall and the area like above and below it. Um, and I'll have like little tiny like eye icons that I can tap on, um, which will give me like actual things that people on the watch are seeing out in the wilderness. So, for example, I just tapped on one. It says some brothers cry foul as somebody cheated in their game. So I can say break the games up before we have to burn someone or whatever keeps their minds away from the dead, which is what I'm going to pick uh, to try and keep hopes up, I guess. I thought that these things just existed as like kind of color commentary. Essentially, I thought it was just like kind of adding nothing really. It was just like kind of more exemplifying of what it's like to work on the watch, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, but I did have one in the very beginning of, of the game, like right when the watch started for the very first time. It was like me and the first group of people uh, I think they're called crows. Me and the first group of crows. We're up there and there was a there was a guy who joined the watch. We had established the rules, which is essentially like you can never sleep with anyone ever again. You can't like have a wife and kids. Uh, you can never leave the watch. Like once you join the watch, you're in it until you fucking die. Um, and all this like really horrific stuff, honestly. And there was a guy who brought a dagger with him from home from his mom, I think, uh, and went to the top of the watch. So when I when I tapped on the, the little eye icon, it was like he, he's going to stab his knife into the watch and or into the top of the wall. And the question was like, is this him giving is this him like shedding his his old skin and like devoting himself fully to the watch? Or is it him embedding the dagger into the top of the wall uh, to say, like, this is this is what I'm giving up to be here. You know, like, is, mm-hmm. it, is it a reminder for him or is it him shedding it? And and I said at, at the time it was him shedding it because I just thought that seemed a little bit more dramatic. Um and uh, literally like a hundred years later, I got another prompt that was like somebody found an old dagger like in the top of this wall, like and they took it out and I ordered them to put it back in because I was like, this is like a fucking sacred Ooh, thing. I like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Um, so that's the second that's the second level. So you, so you have the Castle Black, which is the thing that I mentioned in the beginning, which is like people are coming to you with with kind of questions. You have the watch, which allows you to like see out into the world and kind of have this like kind of meta narrative metatextual uh, conversation with the game. And then there's another level even further out, which are expeditions in which you take the like leaders of the crows that you have, you know, the people who work under you, but are like the most trustworthy and you send them out into the world to do various things. For example, you can, uh, like scout beyond the wall, just like send a a ranger party out and they'll just kind of like explore the world around and just make sure there's nothing like fucked up going on. And sometimes there is nothing fucked up going on. They just go out and they don't find anything and they come back. Uh, But sometimes it'll be like, oh yeah, there's a whole band of like wildling, like it's like a war band and they're like getting ready to fuck us up. So why don't we go out and send another expedition out and like take them out first? There are a ton of different things that can happen. Um, But the two things that are constant are clear away trees so you can see more out in the world uh, or just kind of like scout beyond the wall and just see what's going on. Uh, on top of that, they will also add like special kind of like story driven expeditions. So right now I have seen a dragon uh, and I need to figure out how to kill a dragon, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> seems like it's going to be really fucked up. I have had people die out on expeditions many times before. That is the thing that like will continually happen and you will have a guy that you like constantly send out on expeditions and like maybe he'll be so known beyond the wall uh, by like wildling camps and other things like that that like eventually 
uh you know they'll have like a name they'll be like named by the by the people out in the wilderness you know they'll, they'll be like terrified of him and like when a guy like that dies it really sucks um but uh what i have found oh, it's worth noting when you send people out on expeditions um you send a raven out to them to like kind of tell them what to do and then they'll send a raven back to you and that will take like hours that takes like real time you know that is that is literally how long it takes for the raven to fly there get the message and then fly all the way back so you can like respond so this game is played like i would say every couple hours you can check in um and kind of get like a little update here and there it reminds me of so many different games i mean reigns is the obvious one but then you also have like lifeline which is a game you and i talked about and i think also in the games of the decade episode which was one of the first apple watch games maybe the only yeah. apple watch game of note really uh at least that i've heard of which uh in which an astronaut was like uh kind of stranded on a planet or a moon or something and he had the ability to send a message out into space and for some reason your apple watch is the one that receives it and you'll tell the guy like okay go out to this crater and check out this crater because uh, like maybe there's some supplies there that you can use and he'll he'll wander out there and it'll take like a day for him to do that and then you'll either get a message back because he made it or you won't get a message back because you sent him to the crater and he died in the crater or something um so like there, there is constantly that like give and take of any choice i make could be the end for this guy which is really interesting and that is kind of what this game seems to be going for it's going for that lifeline-esque situation uh it's just that you're managing so many things simultaneously you're managing the like morale and the supplies of the actual castle itself and like trying to establish what the night's watch will be going forward while simultaneously you're managing this exploration party and learning more about the world around you and to me this like really actually does feel like i'm enjoying the world of game of thrones for the first time like for me like totally focusing in on the night's watch and not having 500 characters that i need to remember the relationships (laughs) between but instead having some kind of agency over who's running the night's watch because eventually the guy that is running the place dies and then you have to elect a successor based on the other people that you've been sending out on expeditions like who's really proven themselves in your eyes and that's the next person that you hear about as that's happening you're like making your way through the story which takes a really long time like i've been playing this game since it came out which i think has been two weeks just about at this point i don't think i'm very far in i think i'm like i'm on the third guy i'm like on the third like chapter of the game i don't know how many there are i'm fighting a dragon soon so like maybe that's the end like that that seems like it could be the the big finale but from what i understand this game takes place like a couple thousand years before the actual events of game of thrones so i, I imagine i'll be going through those couple thousand years if, if i'm if i'm not mistaken but i i am finally getting i think what is so interesting about the world by just focusing on this one group of people um and yeah. and learning all the ins and outs of it and not only learning the ins and outs of it but like defining what that is so like i i had this one leader the second leader that i had was this like kind of like charming suave guy you know and and he was all about just like throwing ragers in the castle and i was like kind of role playing as him when i was playing as him right so like any option i had to like just uh drink as much wine as possible and like constant revelries and like going out into the world and like maybe kind of disobeying the actual night's watch code every once in a while like that's what that guy was super into he was partying fucking constantly because that's what you had to do to like be (laughs) okay with watching this this wall at all times you know yeah um but eventually he died and the next guy is known let me let me find the actual name 
Uh, yeah, so uh, right now I'm playing as a guy named Peter Defidy, and he's known as the Hungry Crow. He's he's feared out in the wildlands, and I was like, this guy is is a strict motherfucker, and he's gonna take you right back to the like original rule set of the Night's Watch. So I am like uh, just being really hard on all these people, essentially constantly, yeah. uh, because that seems like that's what this guy would be doing. But it seems like there are like a ton more uh, a, a, a ton more. Um, chapters left in this game now that i'm looking at the actual list uh which i think is like really really thrilling and really exciting the game the game is very slow it takes a long time to play but checking in with it constantly kind of does make me a little bit um feel more emotionally attached to the people there right so like when i when i send a guy out on like five expeditions i'm actually scared like there there will be a moment where it's like oh we found a camp of like wildling like warmongers essentially should we take them out now or should we like wait for an expedition you know like or should we send everybody back and then like get a new expedition ready to like go out and take them out and those moments in which you're like uh take them out now actually become like an hour of being a little bit stressed out hoping that that guy doesn't die, you know, Um, which I think is really interesting. Not only are you managing that, but you're also managing like the wall is so old that it's falling apart. So you're going to have to constantly be like clearing trees to get enough wood to be able to like repair the wall. Um, And again, none of this stuff shows up as stats in the game. It's not like you're actually managing things like you are in Reigns, where there's like a very clear failure state in Reigns that you're constantly losing in that game. That's kind of part of it. Um, it is kind of the um, like soda dungeon or like Groundhog's Day, like kind of repeat the situation. Um, it's a little bit like Rogue Legacy in that way, uh, in Reigns, at least where where you're constantly like picking a new successor and like making your way through. And then eventually they die and you pick their successor. Um, but in this game, there doesn't seem to be a failure state. It just seems like the more you fuck up running the Night's Watch, the worse it'll be for everyone, uh, which is why I feel kind of like a, a responsibility, weirdly, to like keep it at least as even keeled as possible. Like I'm, I'm never really going or swinging wildly in one direction or the other for every time I was the charming guy, uh, you know, uh, being as, as like exciting and like party prone as possible. Uh, I was also kind of trying to pare that down a little bit when, when given the option, uh, just to like make sure that they weren't going overboard. Yeah. I don't know this, this game I find, really really fascinating it feels like it's exploring a lot of different things and kind of asking a lot of questions about what an idol game can be which is why i liked space plan so much when that first came out because that was i think even before universal paperclips had come out which i think was like the definitive like narrative idol game um but space plan i think was like a really a really fascinating attempt at that and like layering it with this game of thrones stuff actually does kind of make it more interesting and and kind of does uh, bring me into this world in a way that I have never really uh, been able to kind of uh, achieve before. I think that's cool and worth noting. Um, Totally. And I, my only like bummer about it is that it's only left. It's only on Apple Arcade. Like that's kind of the bummer about it. It's that I can't recommend it to people on Android. And I honestly, I don't even know if I can recommend it to people on like Mac or, or Apple TV because I think it's only on iPhones and iPads at the moment, Um, which means that not a lot of people can check it out, which it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like historic historically, it's been out for a year, but there have been Apple Arcade games that have been big enough hits that they've been available other places, like yeah. that happened in Grindstone and Sinar Wild Hearts. So yeah. it could happen. Uh, hopefully that does. But I think w- what you're saying about this game and what you're saying about Game of Thrones is really fascinating because one, I think the heart of this is you're enjoying the mechanics of role playing. You know, yes. going back to baseball and going back to like RPGs where like it may not be giving you mechanical feedback or stats, but they're giving you just enough narrative that you're writing your own story, which can be 
really effective, especially in a game like this where you're checking in every now and then. And just to kind of like heal the wound of, of the anti-Game of Thrones take we had before, I do think George R. R. Martin as a writer, his major strength is creating these settings and creating this like rich lore. So when you have a piece of media set in this universe that's that's hyper focused on one specific aspect of it, you can actually get immersed in it, and and it sounds like have your own experience in it. Yeah. Uh, rather than like getting this sort of macro view of everyone. And that, all that's at once. kind of I think the bummer, yeah. at least of of other media set in this world so far that I've experienced. Right. Like reigns like game of thrones reigns was a little bit too kind of all over the place for me at least like it it felt like it was trying to recreate what the show was and the show was kind of like all the wheels were falling off at all times because there were so many characters and you never really knew like narratively what to focus on um yeah from what i understand the game of thrones telltale game was very similar to that where it was like really trying to recreate (laughs) all that stuff about the show and like i played that one oh boy yeah yeah i just don't think that that's I don't think that that's like a really um, I don't think that that's a very nuanced way to explore the world of Game of Thrones personally. Like, I do agree with you. I think the world is really fucking fascinating. Um, But telling every story simultaneously is not the way to do it. And I think telling a really focused story on something like this and not only that, but like really embedding you in it and forcing you to make these choices, I think is really, really interesting Um, and and really not only like teaches you more about what's going on with the night's watch which is a thing that i thought was like kind of interesting when i was watching the show but you didn't get enough of it that like it really felt like it paid off in any in any respect but now that i have this sense of agency over it it feels like it it feels like not only am i learning more about it but i'm also kind of like leading it in a direction but at the same time it's all pre-written right at the same time it is all actually like in canon lore for this world um, which is kind of cool, right? Is like I'm I'm charting a course for this thing, even even if it's pre-directed by the developers. Um, yeah, yeah, it's great. And I think I think telling a story in a video game, I think that focus setting pays off in a way that I think the books probably have a better time navigating multiple characters' perspectives because you can just do that more effectively in in written prose than you can like in a game or in a show. Same way with like. Uh, like the movie Battle Royale largely focuses on those three main characters. Yeah. But the book is from everyone's perspective. I don't even read the book, but the book is no. from uh, it's good. It's fucking brutal, but it's it's a good read. But there are chapters that are just sometimes it'll be from a character's perspective who gets out like real quick. And the whole chapter is like three paragraphs. And that's that character's story. Yeah. And then like it will always return to the main three as like the critical A plot. But that book covers literally everyone who is on the island's perspective. And I think that that's just something you can do more effectively in a book. So I think yeah. a lot of the conversations about like, okay, I want to get into this world, but it's not working for me in the show. Cause the show, I think, and you know, like I, I've, I know a lot of people who really like the show, at least for the earlier seasons, but I think like it was really just trying to match the same rhythm as the book. And maybe it didn't work in its favor because, you know, each medium has different strengths. And it sounds like, they're really utilizing the strength of the setting and telling a story that that fits the mold of video games very well on this game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I um, weirdly that that reminds me a little bit of, of Cloud Atlas between the book and the and the film, which like I think the film a lot of people really dunked on and rightfully so. There is some good stuff happening in that movie, I, I believe. But um, that said, the book is is interesting because it, it takes each of those characters through time and and tells each of their stories individually or it tells half of each story individually. I don't know if you've read that book, but um, it, it, it tells each character's story 
uh, or the first half of it as it kind of like moves through time. And then the middle section is the furthest out in time possible. And you read the whole story and then you go backwards through time reading the second half of everybody's uh, stories, which is a really interesting way to just kind of create that unification between all those characters and, and kind of it, it speaks to the theme of Cloud Atlas. But also it allows you to embed yourself in each of those characters one at a time, whereas the movie is trying to tell all of those stories simultaneously and jump back and forth yeah. between them. And I think that's one of the reasons that film was less effective than the book was like that. It's one right. of the reasons that the adaptation of the thing like didn't work as well. And and that kind of feels like what's happening here. Like if they did this game again, but focused on like a, a different cast, like maybe Winterfell or something, you know, like that. I think would also be successful. Um, yeah. This feels to me kind of like Florence was, as you and I talked about when Florence came out, like Florence is a blueprint for telling other stories like this. You know, Florence is a proof of concept as incredible as Florence is. And you and I love that game. And that was on our games, the decade list. Um, I think you and I are more excited almost about what's coming next from that developer. in, in case they decide to revisit that kind of storytelling again, that's kind totally. of how I feel about this. This feels to yeah. me like, like a potential blueprint for even more interesting and rich stories being told in this world that I have uh, historically not liked as much. Um, and I, I think I think this game proves why I didn't like it by making me like it. Yeah. I'll add real quick for for props to George uh, that I am very excited <laughs> for Elden Ring whenever that comes out. So, like, I do want to see him kind of, like, make something that I connect with a little bit more strongly. Yeah. Um, he also does have a sci-fi series, which I've never read, but I think that's also getting adapted into a TV show right now. Mm, gotcha. But yeah, uh, that sounds really fascinating. I might check it out. I was thinking about Apple Arcade, and uh, there's another game out for those listening who have Apple Arcade that are look because Apple Arcade had a really strong launch. Like you and I are both really excited about it, and it's kind of fizzled out since. Yeah, but there have been some things popping up here and there. One of which is a game you brought up a few episodes ago called Necro Barista that I also picked up that's been getting a lot of buzz that I am specifically saving for spooky season. So I will cover that game in October. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I do want to see more stuff popping up on Apple Arcade. So I'll, I'll make it this a make it this a look. Yeah, I, d- I wonder. And this isn't a thing that I've seen a lot about. So I'm, I'm kind of speaking out of my ass a little bit, but like. I do wonder if maybe the like initial push for Apple Arcade games was mostly like funding a lot of indies, you know, and I wonder if if that money on Apple's side has kind of run a little bit as of late, which is why we're seeing less stuff coming out. Um, yeah. But that said, uh, one of our favorite Apple Arcade games, Guildlings, I think does have new content coming next month also. Like the, the second oh, chapter so of Guildlings excited. is coming soon. Um, yeah. From what I understand, I think it's next month. Um I, I've literally kept my subscription active in hope of a new Guildlings like chapter. Yeah. So yeah, me I'm too. Actually, that was that. why I kept my Apple Arcade uh, subscription yeah. as well. Now that I think about it, but yeah, I'm really I I've been really enjoying this Game of Thrones game. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone, but I do think that it's like a really fascinating take on idle games and kind of pushes that genre in a direction that I think a lot of people are um, maybe not unwilling to check out, but like it it would take a lot of work to do something like this. I think. Um, so I, I think it's like really worth highlighting and worth checking out if you're interested in that kind of idea at all. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's Apple Arcade, so it's going to be hard to get your hands on, I think, if you don't have the device that will allow for it. Um, but yeah, Necro Barista, yeah. really excited to check that out. I have had that download. I was so going to check it out. I was like planning on checking it out. And then you told me you were saving it for spooky season. So I thought I would I would save it also. Um, yeah, I've got a few games lined up for October, which I'm excited about. Another one is Carrion. That was a big uh, so excited to play Switch Carrion. release. Yeah. yeah, me too. So just uh, this 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 episode is just a promo for ourselves, basically. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, all, all exciting stuff. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, Game of Thrones, Tale of Crows. It's on Apple Arcade. It's on iOS and iPad. Uh, if you have an iPad, I would recommend playing it there. Uh, I've seen mm. some screenshots of what that looks like on iPad. It looks actually way better. I kind of wish I started it there. Maybe my save carries over. I haven't even thought about that. I should go check. Um, there are some games yeah. that just rule on iPad, uh, specifically FTL. Highly recommend FTL on iPad. FTL's great so on good. iPad. Yeah. Really yeah. good. Um, anyway, that's uh, a video game. Um do you want to take a short break and then uh, do our last segment? I would love for to do that. Yeah. One hundred and second episode. Yeah. I would love to go get some water. Okay, cool. Goodbye. Goodbye. Brenzen, we're back and you guessed that we're talking about Final Fantasy. Uh, I, I hear whispers that you got back into 14 lately, which just got a really big update. And I myself got back into a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. So the irony of this is that the update adds a bunch of stuff to the end of Shadowbringers for people who already finished that, which is like the last <laughs> DLC and the last bit of yeah. story that you can play. Like it adds yeah. even more story to that, which um, I am nowhere near close to. From what I've heard, because I follow a lot, I didn't even realize how many people I knew who played Final Fantasy fourteen until that update came out in my whole Twitter timeline, which is Final Fantasy fourteen stuff. Um, but apparently that update is great. If you have played through Shadowbringers and you get to that that stuff that they've added, I've heard nothing but praise about it. Uh, a lot of articles are being written about how great it is. So I'm really excited to get there because from what I hear, Heavensward, which is the first big story update and Shadowbringers are like maybe the two best Final Fantasy games that exist. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm is near Heavensward, like right at the end of Realm Reborn. Yeah. But I think the update also truncated some parts of the game. So like that's I, the thing. I, Initially, yeah. the idea was to remove a bunch of quests from it. And it seems like that actually isn't what happened. What they actually did was oh. they increased, I think, the amount of experience you get from each quest. So gotcha. it's easier to fly through everything. Um, because I, I think from I, I read an interview like around when this came out because I was excited for that because I'm I'm right smack dab in the middle. There are like if I'm not mistaken, there are like three to four hundred quests in a Realm Reborn and I'm on like 150. So I'm like right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I was really excited to hop back in and say like, okay, cool. The the end of this is going to be a little bit shortened. So I'll be able to just like fly through the rest of it, which which I think was going to be an exciting time. And then I started doing it. I was like, this does not feel like they shortened it literally <laughs> at all. Um, Hi, Johnny Anime. Can you lift a few barrels and put them next to me? For real, man. Uh, so I, I was a little bit bummed out by that. And then I went and read some interviews. And, and from what I saw, it looks like they just kind of adjusted the amount of experience you get from each one so you're kind of power leveling your way through a realm reborn mm. so you're just overpowered for that experience which i think is good it, it, it's a nice halfway point because they didn't want you to miss any of the lore or any of those characters or any of that stuff yeah which i kind of get because there's some really good stories there that, that i wouldn't want to yeah, see that cut. story does like we, we i mean we did a whole bonus episode about it but like realm reborn does find its footing halfway through and like yeah i'm at the point where it's just full-blown star wars and like <laughs> it's it's very fun and uh, i'm literally I'm before the last dungeon of the campaign. Yeah. But I have to get my item level up. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm going to play something else. Yeah, <laughs> it, was like, I get that. it was like, you got to get these tokens to trade. I'm like, I don't want to do this. But I'm so excited for Heavensward, especially because it's all about the Aura, which are the dragon people, mm -hmm. uh, which is who Zoe Bahama is. So, yeah, uh, I, I just love the idea. And this is something we talked about in our bonus about FF14, which is a game you and I got really into earlier this year. I love the idea that the end game prize is a really good Final Fantasy story. That like yeah. this character that I've made that I've really endeared myself to that is going through these campaigns is the main character of this journey. And mm -hmm. it really does feel like it. like the 
the joke you and I always make is like in any MMO, they're like, oh, you're the most important and there are thousands of other players. But the lore of FF14 recognizes that you are one of many. Yeah forces of light that are that are helping the world so i think it makes it makes your sense of place really valued and i think the first when opening the game for the first time in months the first thing i texted you was that i missed the setting i missed gridania yeah you know i, I really I, I think i think the game does a brilliant job with the settings and with the fact that at least the realm reborn a setting isn't exclusively this is level five zone. Like you'll go back to areas you started in for narrative reasons and for plot. Re- right. And, and find entire quests. new swaths of land in those areas that you didn't even realize yeah. were there the first time that are now filled with, you know, enemies and quests and stuff that are at your level, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And, and a lot of the story is just constantly about proving yourself over and over again. Whenever you meet new people, you know, way out in the distance in places that you've never been to before, they don't know anything about you, even though you're like kind of becoming a person, you know, depending on where you start, you might kind of become like a little bit more well known in that area. When you go to a new spot, they're like, I, I don't know who the fuck you are. I see thousands of people that look exactly like yeah. you every single day. Like, go kill some rats, my guy. I don't like <laughs> prove yourself again, even if you're level I, I, 30 or 40 or whatever, which yeah. I kind of love. I kind of love that they're constant. People dunk on you all the time. Yeah. Like I literally the quest after I had killed a summon, I think I had just fought Ifrit. Uh, I mm-hmm. went to a town and they're like, can you dust our paintings? I'm like, I just killed the primordial. And you're <laughs> making me dust paintings of Chocobos. OK, yeah. I need the experience. Um yeah, I, I, I think 14 is great, and I'm so excited. We will definitely, once we get to it, that's the slow burn of Into the Aether. Once we get to Heaven's Word and Shadowbringers, we'll cover them. But yeah. uh, for now, we're, we're kind of yeah. trying to tread water out of Realm Reborn. <laughs> yeah, the, the big the big irony, I think, of me being this into Final Fantasy 14 is like the unofficial subtitle of the second season of this podcast was The Quest Continues, and it was the quest for me to find a JRPG that I really liked. And we did that with Final Fantasy with uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, definitely. But that has since happened many, many times over, right? With with Dragon Quest being like maybe one of my favorite games ever, if not my favorite game ever at this point. But the the weird irony of all of this is that like my my long term quest forever going back to the site that you and I wrote for way back in the day has always been to find an MMO that I like. Also, I, I always knew that like there would be eventually an MMO that like really scratched all the itches that I wanted. And I have tried pretty much everyone I could get my hands on. And that was like kind of the weird unofficial like beat that I was on at that old site was just like every MMO that came out. I tried and would play for yeah. like 30 or 40 hours and then put down because I didn't like it. It's wild that Final Fantasy kind of hits both of those notes simultaneously. Like it is the JRPG that I like and it is also the MMO that I like. And I think a lot of that is because A, narratively it's skirting around that stuff that you and I were talking about where like you are not the chosen one. You're just a fucking dude. But B, the writing in general, I think is just good enough, at least in Realm Reborn where I'm at currently. The writing is just good enough that if you pay attention to it, it's pretty good. But also you could skip all of it and still have a good time which i think is exactly the point that it needs to be at it needs to be just good enough to get you through realm reborn and then as you said the reward is heaven's word which i'm told not only is one of the best final fantasy stories that exists but also uh talking about setting and place and all those things i i've been hearing a lot that the location of heaven's word is leaps and bounds better than the locations in a realm reborn which is 
a thing that I'm already enjoying a lot. So I can't even imagine yeah. what it becomes. I'm just yeah. like thrilled by the idea of this game only getting better the more time I put into it because so frequently that is not the case in games. Yeah, we're in the Pablo Honey phase of FF14 right now. Like we're <laughs> going to get to the bends eventually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> I don't know what is with my 90s rock. I think it's the Tony Hawk energy in this I episode. I think so too, yeah. Anyway, uh, all that secretly was a segue, dear listener. Because <laughs> uh, my my quest, my, my god quest to eventually cover every Final Fantasy game on this show continues. And so I mentioned earlier in this episode that I've been playing a lot of stuff in preparation for our bonuses this month and the months ahead. I'm playing more games we've already talked about, like CrossCode. Baseball when it was available and uh, Fall Guys, stuff like that. So, like, pretty last minute this week, I was like, shit, what can I bring to the table this week? I, I want to treat every episode as if it's sacred. The bonuses don't get priority. What is this week's episode? Um, and I remembered my quest. I remember my purpose on this earth to talk about every Final Fantasy on Into the Aether, a low key video game podcast. So, I dug up my Super Nintendo. Uh, my friend Nico uh, very generously got me a gift for my birthday uh that was the snes cartridge of final fantasy 2 uh which uh looking at the whole series in japan and now is referred to as final fantasy 4 but originally it was released as 2 uh, famously 1 is 1 4 is 2 and 6 is 3 and then in 7 they were like we got to stop this before it's too late yeah <laughs> 7 and 7 in both countries yeah um and I've been playing it. And uh, some tragedy I posted in the Discord. My Super Nintendo kicked the bucket pretty shortly after that. Uh, it 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 still works, but the cartridge has to be at the exact right angle. And if you turn it on and off too much, especially on the wrong angle where the cartridge is sitting, it can wipe the data of the game, which That's happens to sad. me with, with FF2, FF4 twice. Oh, man. Um, I'm so sorry. So, it's okay. I the first time I was pissed, the second time I I accepted it like a swift death. Um, but I have gotten pretty far into this game. I, I originally played it on the PlayStation One port, which I still have. So uh, I have that. But something about playing it on the Super Nintendo with the two Roman uh, numeral on it mm-hmm. just feels very sacred to me, and I wanted to experience that, and I did. And uh, between you and, and our friends in the Discord, I'm going to get the uh, analog SNES so I can actually yeah. play it without it's, fear of uh, losing the same analog data. With a with a UE at the end, the, the company that made the analog pocket, which uh, got a lot of press recently, which is like a kind of um, new version of a Game Boy that can play original Game Boy games, Game Boy Advance games, Game Boy Color games, all those things. Uh, but, the, but the big deal about analog's entire work is that they try and do like as faithful recreations of old hardware as possible but like meant to last for a really long time um they all have like hdmi support immediately so they work with like modern televisions and things like that which is really great but the the biggest thing is that they all use the original game cartridges like if you have the original things they all work uh you could plug in an old like snes controller into this thing and it will work immediately which is really cool um there's also a big emulation scene there but we shouldn't talk about that <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have a lot of i have a lot of rare cartridges okay i've got super mario rpg i've got final fantasy 2 and 3 4 and 6 uh, i've got <laughs> the Donkey Kong country games i've got super mario i've got a lot of good super nintendo games yeah 
And I'm a big fan of, of having access to old libraries. You know, I have my Game Boy Advance SP that I bought in 2018 so I can play all the old Game Boy stuff on a backlit screen. So I'm not, as much as I'm a fan of retro, I'm not going to have the fucking eighth grade worm light in my life <laughs> at age 30. Uh, so <laughs> I want to have a condensed but effective library. So anyway... Final Fantasy IV. Do you know anything about this? Or are you coming in fresh, Brendan? Literally nothing. I know literally <laughs> nothing about Final Fantasy IV. Welcome to my kingdom of madness. But um, you have, you have over the course of this podcast, I think maybe gaslit me, but maybe not gaslit me, into just like actually being... I will, I will be completely honest with you. At the beginning of doing this show, when you bring a Final Fantasy game, I would just be like, oh man, I don't even, I don't even understand what's happening here, you know? But like, I yeah. wanted to get it. I've always wanted to understand Final Fantasy, you know? And, and over the course of doing this show, I have, I have locked into it. Final Fantasy VII, maybe the best game I played this year, you know? Like, remake specifically. But you love the original as well. And, and the perfect episode, we talked about that. Yes. It was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I am, I'm slowly, slowly absorbing all of this and turning into you and i think you are slowly absorbing all of my love of things like spelunky and uh and, and things like that and slowly turning into me and eventually this show will just we'll become fuse. two of us we'll be vegeto or gogeta there you go um, who's your favorite i like vegeto anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's my epitaph um so final fantasy 4 uh released originally as two is I would consider the Final Fantasy game where the series really found its voice as we know it today. It's the Morrowind or the Persona 3 of Final Fantasy, where, like, there were games that preceded it, but, like, this is the series as we know it today. And I wanted to bring it up because, like, one, I want to cover every Final Fantasy game, but two, I think, like, when it comes to retro Final Fantasies, pretty much anything before seven, almost all the attention goes to six. And I get it. Like six is uh, one the the most immediate inspiration for Octopath Traveler. So like mm -hmm. we've got that connection there. But six is really like the magnum opus of of that era of RPGs. Like that and Chrono Trigger are sort of like unanimously considered the gold standard of a retro JRPG. Yeah, and six kind of has like an incredible ensemble and a really cool setting and, and, a, and a great villain. It, it, it touches all the notes you want in a Final Fantasy. And that goes back into our constant metaphor of, of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn being the best of up until that point and Breath of the Wild being the next phase. Mm -hmm. It's exactly that with Final Fantasy VI and Seven. So like six is sort of like the swan song of that type of Final Fantasy yeah. where it's, you know... Uh, however many bits on super nintendo about crystals and then you got seven which is like 90s grunge anti-capitalist game right my bloody valentine uh, the video game <laughs> my bloody valentine yeah <laughs> you've got ska and then shoegaze okay <laughs> um <laughs> so um and growing up so my famously my first final fantasy was seven very young when it came out i was i think i played it later too like i was nine when i first played it but it came out when i was seven it's like really formative experience and i've mentioned that countless times on the show it was the game that got me thinking of games as something beyond a toy it was something that could be narrative and could be seen as art and and i just think like that type of story has to this day been something i really gravitate towards i love ensembles i love like that really delicate mix of high stakes but also like 
really goofy, you know, and seven pulls that off beautifully. We're like, it's in a very fallout adjacent setting. It's very grim, but it has a constant sense of, of humor about it. You're even laughing right now. Sorry. What are you laughing at? Sorry. I was just thinking if you want Final Fantasy with a mix of Goofy, then uh, boy, have I got a franchise for you to check out. <laughs> <laughs> Call 1-800-358 over two days and you get half off Kingdom Hearts. Uh, I haven't even mentioned this, but I did go back to Kingdom Hearts 3. I, I, yeah, I am been? almost done with Kingdom Hearts 3 at this point. Um I didn't realize this. We talked we talked about this a long time ago with uh with that game when it came out, but I stopped immediately as soon as Jack Sparrow turned into three hundred crabs and then fell into the ocean. <laughs> and I was like, I yeah, am out of here, my guy. Yeah. Um yeah. did not realize that was uh the second to last world before the end of the game. Uh so I'm like really at the end of it. Um and I've also just started replaying all of the games from the beginning as well simultaneously. So uh, expect some Kingdom Hearts content. Sorry, back to Final Fantasy. <laughs> I also love that you, even though you've had this like like journey trying to understand Final Fantasy, you're the bigger Kingdom Hearts fan. Oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah. which is kind of <laughs> ironic. Yeah, I mean, I was um, just thinking as you were talking about Final Fantasy VII uh, and how that was the game that kind of allowed you to understand that it was more than just a toy and like could actually tell like really interesting narratives and stories and things like that. Um, weirdly enough, Kingdom Hearts was like Kingdom Hearts One was that game for me, even though so much of that game's story and narrative is complete fucking nonsense. Uh, it still it still worked for me and still was like, oh, yeah, th- this is not very successful, but at least is exploring some things. Yeah. I mean, you and I covered one and two before three came out. Yeah. That was like uh, 2018, very beginning of the year. We were hyping up for the release of three, which we like uh, dear listener. If you want to hear us squirm into finding positive things to say, listen to the Kingdom Hearts three episode. Yeah, man. <laughs> but but replaying one in in, in a a modern setting i think one is still a really great game i I still think it's like i think i said in the episode about it if you if you were to tell someone like here are the 20 games to play that like define video games as an experience i would consider kingdom hearts one on there uh and the story of the first game is pretty grounded by comparison it's like yeah kind of just like you know a, a sort of like a hero's journey but through the lens of disney and final fantasy yeah, um, totally. It isn't until Ansem showed up that it like becomes this like wiki spelunk. Yeah, uh, I'm just having so. a wilder experience revisiting that game right now, specifically knowing more about Final Fantasy because of this show. So like, yeah. you make it to Traverse Town, which is like the first place you go after the like opening tutorial, and like you meet up with Leon and Aerith and Yuffie, which is like. <laughs> The wildest. <laughs> now you know people, which I didn't realize Steven was that fall. wild yeah. when I played the game the first time. I just was like, "Oh, these are people from Final Fantasy, a, a game series I've never played before." But now knowing more about the context of those characters, it's like, "How the fuck is Aerith here?" Yeah. Now but, you're like, yeah. "Um, how is a member of Seed, the last surviving Cetra, and a Materia thief hanging out?" Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. Exactly. This is what uh, you've done to me. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you've done to me. Is that the episode title? Yeah. So. Dear listener, Final Fantasy IV. Uh, it, w- it came out in 1991. I was one year old, a single digit, when this game came out. And I did not play it until after FF7. So I, I mentioned my whole experience. And pretty much after I played FF7 as a nine-year-old, I inhaled any Final Fantasy content. A lot of it was through renting. So I rented Chocobo Racing. Got to do that. Mm-hmm. I rented FF Tactics. Didn't understand it at the time. I own it now. I'll cover it eventually. I got FF8. Loved it. I, I, I got everything. 
And one of the things I got was FF4, which is in a Super Nintendo, like old school art style. Um, so as a nine-year-old whose only experience was FF7, the, the modern day graphics of original Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. I didn't really know what 4 was and I kind of put it on ice until years later. I played it on a whim in high school and like was surprised at how immediately pulled in I was. So the first time I played this game was in high school on PlayStation 1, the port that they did. And now I'm playing it again on Super Nintendo, which my Super Nintendo has died. That story has been told. Uh, So this game is really fascinating because in the US, FF1 came out. And Final Fantasy 1 was largely like D&D adjacent. You you may there weren't like set characters the way they are in later games. So like rather than having like Cloud Barrett Tifa, you had like Red Mage, Thief and you know oh, wow. whatever. Like it was just the classes and yeah. the story was like kind of there by default. Soon 3 didn't come out in the US and for what I know about them like the story isn't really anything to write home about. But 4 came out and 4 especially in 1991, was telling a story that you rarely saw in RPGs. So 4 begins, and and even playing it today, I I found myself gasping at certain moments. 4 begins, and you are Cecil, a dark knight. It's literally the Mitchell and Webb sketch, Are We the Baddies? Where, like, (laughs) they're wearing helmets with skulls, and they're like, are we the bad guys? Yeah. Cecil is on an airship in dark knight armor. And the crew of the ship are all like, hey, man, we're going down to, like, all these cities to steal their crystal. And, like, they're putting up almost no resistance. Like, this feels real gross. Yeah. Like, why are we doing this? And Cecil's like, the order, we're the Red Barons, the order of the king is, like, unquestionable. And they're like, okay, fine. And at one point, one of the crew yells, monsters! And I thought... He was yelling at the crew, calling them monsters, but there were actually monsters <laughs> on the ship. Um, but, like, it doesn't really waste any time. Like, right away, it shows, like, the main character is in this role in a really, you know, fascist medieval empire and is questioning his role in it, even though he's trying to stay loyal. Yeah. So that's, like, the like the first 30 seconds are that scene. And then you land in the castle and you talk to the king, and the king is, like, you know, you hand him the crystal, and Cecil, like waits a moment and then is like i'm sorry your majesty like why are we doing this like why is this what you're asking of me as a dark knight and the king is like oh you know how dare you question me like go here like you're relieved of your post bring this package to this nearby village and then you know go hunt monsters in the wild but like your your command is relieved basically and then your buddy kane kane highwind uh, the first ever Dragoon of Final Fantasy lore. Okay. Great, great, great grandfather of Johnny Anime. Of Johnny Anime, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the first ever Dragoon shows up and is like, hey, 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 Cecil didn't mean that. And then- Sorry, Johnny Anime is my Final Fantasy fourteen character. If you've joined <laughs> the podcast recently and have just heard passing references to a person named Johnny Anime, that's the name of my Final Fantasy fourteen character, who, by the way, that- uh, does have a kind of aura about him where even when I'm in the game and I'm playing that game, people will come up to me and just like do dances in front of me, I think because they like the name. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, Johnny Anime is is very similar to your Game of Thrones character who only parties. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. But his class is a Dragoon. Yes. So I, I thought, you know, there's there's a distant relationship to Kane Highwind. I love it. The sort of anti-hero of Final Fantasy 4 or 2. This is great. I love um, hearing about my ancestors. <laughs> 
this is the segment where you're looking at your phone the whole time. <laughs> you're, I'm going to let Steven do his thing. And, and no, just I, I'm, I'm loving out. this. Please tell me more cool. about Johnny Anime's great, 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 great grandfather. So Johnny, 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 that's his name in short. Uh-huh. Johnny's great, 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 great grandfather, Kane Highwind, is like, your majesty, Cecil didn't mean it. And the king is like, toe off with both of you. Shoo, shoo. I'm busy being evil. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised he lets you live, TBH. Yeah. Well, you'll you'll see why. Oh, okay. So he's like, deliver this package to this vi- village. And you leave the castle. And like, Cecil immediately is filling a very similar role to, I would say, um, General Mustang in Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, okay. Or like, yeah. they're dealing with some version of PTSD. And that's kind of the whole, the, the reason I think FF4 really stands out, even in a modern playthrough is like while the localization is a little bit off sometimes and like the dialogue is heavy-handed the themes and the types of characters they're exploring in 1991 yeah. when games like were you know linked to the past was like and this were considered like really fresh narratives it was breaking a lot of tradition uh, the fact that you're basically playing as a villain who is deciding he doesn't want to be a villain anymore like in the first two minutes of the game is really fascinating so he's like walking around the castle just kind of dealing with this like sense of guilt and you run into rosa who is sort of like your will they won't they love interest uh and she's like hey cecil chill i'll I'll see you later (laughs) and then sid is uh i I think he might be the first sid i could be mistaken but sid is like a recurring character in all final fantasies he's really into machinery and in this game he's like a very jovial kind of gimli-esque presence that's good and uh so cecil you know they they everyone's just telling Cecil to go sleep. Like sleep it off, you'll be fine. Uh, and then he and Kane set out to go to this village the next day. And I think I think I bring all this up in detail because I am conditioned to expect, especially from an RPG from 1991, the first two hours will be chores, like always. You know, yeah. and this game like doesn't waste any time kind of getting right to the point, which I think makes the pacing feel very modern. So you leave the kingdom with Cain and you walk to the village and you uh, you enter this cave and there's a dragon made of mist who's like, go back those from Varen. You fight the dragon made of mist and you get to the village. And the minute you arrive, the package opens and it's it's a bomb, like a bunch of the bomb creatures come out yeah. and burn down the village. And Cecil's like, holy shit, because... Before that moment, he he decided to himself, like, never again will I blindly follow orders. But this last mission he's doing to seemingly bring an innocuous package to this village burns the whole place down. Man. And you find this girl named Rydia, who kind of like Aerith, uh, a common, like, recurring thing in Final Fantasy is there's some kind of, like, survivor magic user. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rydia is, uh, her mother was the dragon. So, like, you inadvertently oh. killed her mom. Okay. And she's like, oh shit, like, and the village is burning down and she's like dealing with all this trauma and you try to help her. And then she's like, get away from me. And she summons Titan who causes a quake in the earth. Who I am, by the way, in the middle of trying to figure out how to kill in Final <laughs> Fantasy XIV's Johnny Anime. It's a tough fight. Yeah, it's a tough fight. Again, links to Kane. But you wake up and ready, and Cecil's like, let Cecil's dealing with his own guilt and trying to like do good for the first time. Is like, hey, sorry I killed your mom and burned down your village. Please let me help you. Yeah. And Radio's like, fuck off, dude. No. But then forces from the kingdom show up and they're like, the king has deemed it too risky to let anyone survive from that village. Like, let us take the girl and Cecil. You fight them, you know, to protect Rydia. And then that gains her trust and they slowly but surely begin to confide in each other. And from that point on, it's just a really like, it's a really compelling story about 
guilt and identity and like a constant theme in the game is like judging people by their intentions and not where they're from yeah and i think having the protagonist be someone who is like dealing with this guilt of of being on on a you know like he never asks for anyone to condone his actions but he's trying to become a better person and i think that journey is really interesting and of course it's filtered through a final fantasy lens so like by the end of the game you have gone to hell and the moon so that happens <laughs> but okay. you know cecil starting as a dark knight and at a certain point in the game he becomes a paladin and you become a paladin in a battle like in a turn-based final fantasy battle and and the person you're fighting is telling you is, is strongly suggesting that you don't fight and you become about paladin by being in a battle and not fighting okay like mechanic that's really cool actually. Which yeah. i think is really it's really cool and it's utilizing the the mechanics of the game to tell a story there's a similar moment with ridia where once the party is formed they get to this point where like there's an ice wall and oh ready a cast a fire spell so we can get through and like her associations with fire are so traumatic because of what happened in her village that she like can't cast fire mm. and like needs to really have the support of her friends to be able to do that in that moment which like to me really unites the battles with the story because i think in a lot of final fantasies they feel very separate you know especially in ff7 where like you'll have this like conversation about the cyclical torment of capitalism with Barrett and Cloud on a train and then he summons Odin you know in yeah. a few more scenes right, and like, right. that's part of the charm but I think like I really respect when when games like give narrative weight to what is seemingly frivolous magic so the fact that Rydia has to really like deal with the psychological repercussions of casting fire it kind of is a testament to what story this game is trying to tell yeah in 1991 and there's some really like standout moments like uh this is not really a spoiler but jump ahead if you want to avoid spoilers for final fantasy 4 but um radio at one point is separated from the group and then she comes back as an adult kind of like three houses mm. and she has been in the fey wild equivalent where like time moves differently mm. and she's like sup i'm like an all-powerful mage now and i can summon anything and like moments like that are really memorable where like you see these characters grow and change and it's a really beautiful game i, I think it's it, it's definitely beloved but it's overlooked in in kind of six's shadow because when people think about any final fantasy prior to seven it's usually six yeah right but i think four is like really setting the standard for what the series would become later and and by all means is still a really exceptional story in its own right yeah so i would, I would I, highly I recommend checking the, the it thing out. that I'm, I'm finding most interesting just hearing you describe it is that you're describing it the exact same way you've described the other ones in that the story yeah. has so much weight to it even then in 1991 that that you can still describe it in a way that actually i just needed to like go on my phone and look up what it looked like because i was like i need to see like literally visually what this game looks like um because you're, you're describing it with with such interesting narrative uh weight but i did in that instance of looking it up just learn a couple things about it which i think are maybe worth noting number one yeah. it, it, it came out on super nintendo and then they ported that version of it to the game boy advance so there is a, a version of it that you can play that is literally just that game ported to game boy advance they eventually went on to remake it they did a 3d remake of that game yeah for the nintendo ds which is also available on pc and ios and android um and i think is five bucks 
Um, so in case any of it's that- a good remake too. It's a good remake. I have that on on the DS, and there's full voice acting. The host of the Japanese Iron Chef is the voice of the villain. That's a selling. Oh point. hell yeah, that is absolutely a selling point. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it sounds awesome, honestly. And and from what I've seen, or just like very very quickly, like literally googling this right now, um, reviews of the remake are really great, but also reviews of the original port to Game Boy Advance are really great. So that just seems like an easier way to maybe get your hands on it. If, if that totally. if any of this sounds interesting to you, dear listener, um, it's definitely sounds interesting to me. I think uh, when I when my time closes with Game of Thrones and uh, Soda Dungeon 2, um, I could see myself picking this up and playing it on my phone, which I think it's really, really good. Cool. It, and, and it's also the first Final Fantasy to have characters tied to a class. So there seems to be a narrative purpose for like, you know, Cecil being a dark knight and then becoming a paladin is a very thematic choice. Yeah. Same with his friend Kane, who Kane throughout the whole game is constantly veering between being an ally and an enemy. Like he's a he's a classic anti-hero in that way. Yeah. And he's a dragoon, which their main ability is to jump and to avoid. So like he is constantly like an elusive presence. Right. And then you've got Rydia, who's this all-powerful summoner is kind of the heart of the cast. There's also a bard named Edgar who can just hide. That was, that's, <laughs> that's his thing. <laughs> uh, and there's a great scene where, like, it, it's translated a little weirdly, but you meet up with a sage named Tella who's looking for his daughter who ran off with the bard and he didn't approve of their marriage. And Cecil is looking for a cure for his, for his friend Rosa. So they team up temporarily and, and they get to this kingdom and you see on the world map, this is the moment, one of the moments I gasped, you see on the world map, like you find the city you're supposed to get to after going through this cave and fighting a boss and whatever. And a bunch of airships just fly over it and bomb the hell out of it and keep going. Oh, wow. And you're like, oh my God. So you go in there and like everyone is dead and you find Tella's daughter who's like dying and Edgar is there, the bard. And it's revealed that she like died to save Edward, which is like enough for Tella to be like, okay, like I should have approved of this like yeah it sucks that this is the way i found out but like if you really love him i'll trust him um although in in a moment it cuts to a battle and tell us is like hitting the bard with his staff <laughs> it's kind of funny um but edgar is like mourning this like really heavy loss and rydia is like hey man i just lost a whole village like 15 minutes ago yeah you gotta keep moving on like there's a time like she i think the line is like you're a grown man i'm a kid and i'm not crying anymore like you gotta keep moving wow which like that's heavy. I thought I thought it was very powerful. You know, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that because I think you should cry over a, a loved one who's right in front of you. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Being a little bit cruel to Edgar. But like, that's the shit this game is tackling in 1991. And I have to applaud it for it. And I think that really raised the standard because I read a little bit about the development of this game. And the original intent was to make the gameplay more real time and more action based and less of a turn based game. Mm. And, and they changed directors at one point. And then that idea became the secret of mana which is the sort of oh wow real-time rpg so this game's focus was really telling i think a bigger story than games were telling at that time and and i think it still works like you know it, it it follows a lot of tropes but it still hits the notes it's trying to hit and and i think it's great and yeah like you said there's a lot of different ways to get it um I prefer the Super Nintendo presentation, but the DS remake is is a very cool take on it as well. Yeah. Um, if you need something a little bit more modern. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's Final Fantasy IV. Available for many platforms. <laughs> yeah, so uh, now I only have to cover all three 13s, 11, <laughs> 1, 2, 3. And figure out how and... to play 12. <laughs> I got 12, but yeah, so one day, one day. Pretty close. Oh, wait, no, not 12. Of what am I thinking of? 
is it 10 or is it 11? 11 is the online one. 11 is the online one. That's what I'm thinking of. I haven't played 13 or its sequels. I haven't played one, two, or three. And I have played eight, but we haven't talked about eight. So one day, I got it on Switch. One day, I'll bring eight to the table. Because I know there's a lot of big eight fans out there, including myself. Yeah. A lot of big eight fans in the Discord, I think, also. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So that will be that will be on the horizon. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. I, I, I've been in kind of a retro mood. And like the thing about four that's also great is it alongside all these really heavy things happening. The NPCs are straight out of Pokemon Crystal. Like you'll talk <laughs> to someone. And they'll be like, want to watch me dance? And they'll dance. And then that's it. You don't get anything for it. Yeah. It's just the moment that happened. And I think like games of this era were really invested in you exploring every nook and cranny. So there's almost this like in-game competition of npcs standing out so they just say the wildest shit to you yeah like and and a lot of them will give you hints of where to go next but like the game wants you to explore and i think that that's kind of a fun uh initiative yeah that's awesome final fantasy 4 yeah i'm yeah. i'm very into that idea i might i might check it out at some point uh although i do have to get back to 12 like 12 yeah man that that switch port of 12 is so good um and it's like one of the games that i am constantly thinking about going back to that and dragon quest are the two games that like are on my switch i always want to play them but i need to check out other things but eventually i'll I'll get back and finish both of them my plan is to finish dragon quest before the end of the year that's like my big my big yeah but uh anyway there's a lot of dragon quest dna in ff4 and ff2 12 and that like they're both kind of dragon quest's whole vibe is like you are the chosen hero and you're gonna be the one who saves the day yeah and if four it's like you suck and you've got to repent (laughs) (laughs) but that's it's still delivered in that kind of like you know that kind of classic presentation and that sort of uh the the pacing of four is really what impresses me today is like that plot is constantly progressing yeah you know for better or for worse it's constantly moving you're never at a standstill to like do some chores before it gets interesting it just keeps building on itself yeah cool so should we wrap up yeah i think so <clears throat> um i could go on and on about kane highwind <laughs> and edge and Rydia. um but yeah uh thank you as always for listening dear listener uh we really appreciate it we're still uh, every episode since 100 we're like wow it's 102 can you believe it anyway let's record yeah um <laughs> it's been a really incredible experience making this show we still have so much fun making it and we appreciate the support um if you like the show sharing with a friend is the best way to help it grow reviewing on apple podcasts all that stuff you know the drill um, we've got a patreon uh add into the cast on on uh, you, you find it easily just into the aether into the cast yeah if you uh if you're supporting the show and it puts you in any financial strain please don't we will not take it personally as we say every week um the, sh- the patreon helps the show grow it is not responsible for the show existing that's the that's the back of the box quote yeah we're trying to stream more we've got a twitch enter the cast we've got an instagram uh where we have all the episode art cataloged into the cast as well twitter at into the cast and you can follow both of us from there as well and yeah that's basically it yeah yeah all of those links are available in the show notes uh or you can just go to into the cast.online yeah a great hub for all of those links um, it's a good hub for links yeah uh, everybody who's back in the Patreon, your names are in the show notes as well. Thank you Thank all for you. doing that. Thank you. 
And I'm trying to think what else. Thank you so much to AJ Filari, our producer. You can hire him to make podcasts for you also. Uh, that link is also in the show notes. He's a great editor. He's good at his job. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. We should probably wrap up. I can't believe this is uh, this is wild for me, but this is one of the last episodes I'm recording in this apartment, which I've been living in for so long. Yeah, it's an end of an era. Yeah, you and I, when I first moved into this apartment, you and I were writing for the old site and you came over here so we could do a Let's Play of the ET Atari game to see if it was as bad as everybody <laughs> said it was. Yeah. Um, which maybe maybe I'll post that link in the show notes too. Why not? That was uh, that, that was bef- like right before I moved to Chicago. Like you moved in right when I was like, bye. Yeah. And then I moved here. Yeah. And seven years passed. Uh, but now now I'm moving out. So this is one of the last episodes that I'm recording here, which is wild. My partner Percy is spot. giving me a big sad face from the kitchen right now as I say all of this. <laughs> change isn't inherently sad it's a fundamental part would you rather be here forever we're we're turning one of the rooms in the new apartment into a recording space which will be really exciting so um, it might sound even better than it does in here I'm pumped to eventually visit you when that's like a possible thing. Yeah, that'll uh, be great yeah I do feel the pull of the east coast dear listener and Brendan as well I love Chicago but you know Jersey New York will always be home yeah okay see ya my name is Brendan Bigley you can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley you can find me in the Big Apple (laughs) Uh, my name is Stephen Hilger you can find me at Stephen Hilger have a wonderful week please please do please have a wonderful week goodbye bye Garbage dot online.